Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 119th episode of the Truth Island podcast. A trend that traces its origins all the way back to the inception of the Industrial Revolution is the increased feelings of alienation that modern workers often feel. On one hand, we all wish to feel valuable and enjoy seeing the fruits of our labor. A contractor can point to houses that they helped build. A doctor can relish in the fact that they may have helped extend someone's life, even for just a few more years. And an author can take pride in the fact that their work may have entertained and inspired people. Despite what anyone might tell you, we as humans love to work. We love engaging in activities that give our lives meaning and purpose, so much so that any percentage increase in the unemployment rate leads to an increase of suicides by roughly 40,000. Even among retirees, studies show that volunteer work and some forms of part-time labor can actually increase one's lifespan. However, an important caveat that most research participants disclose is that it's not the work itself that keeps people alive, but the sense of purpose that work gives them. Arguably, the most important question of why should I be doing this is often the question that is the least answered in the workplace. Millennials and other young workers have increasingly found themselves in work environments that often delegate tasks with unclear goals and very long work hours. For those working in white collar settings, it has ipso de facto become the norm that employees be available at all times of the day to answer their email or return to their computers to revise an assignment. But despite our love of data, employers seem to care little that studies show that employees are at their most productive for only two hours and 53 minutes per day. While that doesn't mean a person can't work more than three hours, the amount of creative work that any given person can produce begins to diminish with each passing hour. Prior to the pandemic, some employers even demanded that employees stick around the office merely as a contingency in case a client complained or some irregularity came up. The most egregious offender happens most notably in the field of law, where new associates are often required to clock in 70 to 80 hour work weeks so that these hours can be turned over to the clients as billable hours, even if the results of these efforts in no way enhance a client's legal case. While some might rationalize this as simply the game one must, one must play to earn a living, the removal of meaning is perhaps not something that we are equipped to work without. Joining me to share her journey leaving corporate America and to announce the start of her very own podcast, Corporate Quitter, I am joined by Gabby. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like us being in the place that we are post-COVID and just us being millennials and the Gen Zers of the world, we are seeing a different dynamic play out in terms of, you know, how we work, where we work, when we work, and also something that our generations before us haven't com considered is, you know, self-care and actually going to the gym and eating the food and really taking care of ourselves, but also taking consideration that we're constantly on the clock because we have computers in our pockets, which is our cell phones, which is something they didn't have before. So, Right, we all love it, but at the same time, plenty of us probably hate it. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like I was 
I, I watched the uh, the documentary on Netflix recently, The Social Dilemma. Um, oh my god, it's it's so good, but it's it like is. scary because it's terrifying, really. It, it absolutely is. And by the time I was done watching it, I said to myself, I really feel like getting a flip phone all of a sudden. That was like the the right level of technology, like around like two thousand. When if you wanted to look something up, you could, but you had to go home and sit behind a computer to do it. And 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 it's okay to take a long walk and just wonder who was that actor. You know, just having that little mystery, even just for a little while, I think is okay. I think it actually makes our brain a little sharper and a little bit more creative. Um, but you know, again, that's that's like a, a whole nother issue in itself. But I think that the the computer in our pocket at all times is very dangerous when it comes to our relationship with work because we need that separation. And, you know, you know, not to go into a giant history lesson here, but in the early part of the 20th century, labor unions, uh, collective bargaining, all of these organizations really fought hard for the eight hour workday. It was something that was believed, you know, eight, eight hours to work, eight hours to rest and eight hours for ourselves, right? And when you really think about it, that's actually the perfect day. You have your eight hours of work. You have eight hours to take care of your kids, go to the gym, take, you know, buy nutritious food or, or just, you know, watch the news for an hour and then eight hours to sleep. And I think that for a while, we, we had hit the, the sweet spot. I think when we were following those laws of eight, eight and eight, we, we really were happy, you know? I mean, nothing nothing was ever perfect, but I think we were a lot better off under that system than we are today. And those walls have sort of kind of just magically de uh, been deteriorated. And we can definitely talk a lot about the transition from people mostly working in, in blue collar occupations to white collar occupations and what that means. But I think that it's not only the extra hours, but on top of it, it's sometimes you're being called to do things and you don't necessarily see the purpose as to what you are creating. And I'm wondering if that's something that you felt your last voyage into the, in, in, in the workplace. Definitely. And um, it's funny because I, about three years ago, I was working as an executive assistant for an asset management company, which, you know, being in New York city, it's very, very demanding. Um, you know, a lot of time is put into it. It's it's not an easy job. And yet I loved it because the people I worked with were awesome and they were very respectful. It was, I want to say I lucked out because not a lot of people had the same experience. Um, but I had purpose in that. And that's what made it fun. It's the people that I was working for, I genuinely cared about them. So it felt good for me as a nurturer to quote unquote, nurture them in the way of like doing expense reports and making sure they caught their flights and booking the cabs and making the meetings. But then um, about, you know, within the last year, which coincidentally COVID happened. So that's I'm sure part of the reason why, but my last role when I got promoted was in marketing, which was super fun, but it was just, there was no sort of passion in it. Like I had expected there to be being an assistant. So I guess I was working in real estate, which super cool, really creative, very fun, especially being in New York City, learned a ton. But as time went on, I realized I'm just making these, you know, white men richer, literally, like I'm just helping make these people, these investors richer. This is not helping the little man. If anything, it's pushing the little man out because we're a huge giant real estate firm and we're not giving anyone a shot right? It's our job. We have to fill our space. And we're really just working with large companies to 
you know, just for me as someone who likes to give back and like, I think I had done a lot of volunteer work when I was working at this company and realized it had filled the void of not having that passion or that purpose or that fulfillment of like giving back. And that's why I did it so much. But then being in this role is really when it kind of came full circle of like, oh, wait, this isn't actually helping anyone that I know. It's not helping to um, do anything positive, you know, positively in my community. It's just kind of making people richer, which and it's not like it's not like I'm helping like a philanthropy group make money so that they can go out and like feed the homeless or like provide clothing for people, you know, children in need. Like it's not doing anything in in the way of us, you know, regular people, which bothered me. Wow. Okay. So we actually have a lot to unpack. Now, let me ask you this. When you were working as a, an executive assistant, was, was that with the same company or with a different company? So technically the same company, but it was within a different department, if you will. Okay. Now, that's well, the first thing I want to think that's interesting that I didn't, it's, you know, I'm glad that you brought this up. It didn't even come to my mind is just the, even if you're working in a place and you don't know exactly what the end goal is, because, you know, you were still working for the same real estate company, but just having those interactions of like, Hey, Gabby, that was an awesome hotel that you booked me in. Hey, Gabby, that was a great, you know, cab ride or whatever. Just, just having those micro micro doses of meaning where you could see the result or you could see someone expressing gratitude or appreciation for something that you performed. Even if you weren't visualizing like the big picture of what it is that you were doing, even that those little micro interactions even can build meaning into your day. Definitely. So I, like you used to be a teacher. And so my wins were my students wins. So in this world, even though, right, I'm the younger one, I was like this, like, you know, really peppy 20 year old, like serving these like 40 to 50 year old, like, you know, guys, you know, in this industry, which is super, um, you know, it's tax, it's capital markets, it's treasury, it's like very like black and white. And here I am like injecting enthusiasm into it. And they're like my <laughs> students where they're like, Oh, my God, this is amazing. So for me, I, there was a huge return on investment, so to speak, for me, putting in all that effort, 100%. I'm still friends with them and like we have such a great relationship and I couldn't have asked for anything better in that, you know, that, that scenario. And the thing about, you know, and, and the thing that kind of always makes me scratch my chin is that like, you know, companies will complain like, oh man, I, I wish we could pay you more. I wish we could give you more vacation days and yada, yada, Oh my God. It's like, have you ever seen that meme where it's like, Oh, we, we're not going to pay you more. We're not going to hire more employees, but we'll give you a pizza party. You're like, wow, <laughs> like, that's amazing. But like, no, it's not. We don't want that. Like, we don't want yoga in the workplace. Just give me more money. Like, I need to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, exactly. I think a lot of people, um, I think those perks, like, you know, having uh, like Nature Valley bars or whatever are, are really cheap compared to like, you know, a better dental plan or something like that. Like in the long run, they're saving a lot more money. What, what always astonishes me is that at the very least, those, hey, Gabby, thank you so much. All of that stuff is extremely cheap. I, I feel like that stuff is so cheap. But I see a lot of complaints of even that stuff beginning to kind of fall by the wayside. Like those thank yous are like, hey, you really did a great job the other day. Or, hey, yeah. I really appreciate the fact that you decided to stay late. Because from what I'm hearing, it's almost as if cultures, especially in New York City, cultures are being created where it's not a thank you for staying late. It's why aren't you staying yeah. late? 
and that that I think is is something that's radically different. Yeah, and it's you start to feel really guilty because they like they basically make you feel terrible if you're not putting in those extra hours. Even though it's funny though because they right they'll say like I really want you to prioritize self care like your sleep is really important. I want you to have a life outside of work. Like I they will berate me with saying that over and over again. But then when push comes to shove, like 5 p.m., I sign off because I go for a run almost every, like I was going for a run almost every single day at 5 p.m. when my laptop was shut. And then as I'm get on a run, I would get calls and they're like, where are you? We need you. Where are you? And it's like, well, you know where I am every day at 5 p.m. If you don't tell me beforehand that you need something for me, which, by the way, I will make myself available if it's an emergency. But I need to get my run in like I put in my eight hours. I did what I needed to do. If you couldn't get back to me because you were busy and you didn't manage your calendar well, don't get pissed at me. That's not cool. <laughs> I have a life. <laughs> and th- this is like something that this is real. This is what you're touching upon something really important because when we made this shift from blue collar to white collar work for a lot of us, right? We, we stopped being paid by the hour. And what that meant is, you know, when, when you know, our ancestors, right? <laughs> and look, some people still work, and some people <laughs> still earn great living doing blue collar work. And I think that's awesome. Um, and even even as a teacher, I sometimes had to clock in. And, you know, even when I was working hourly jobs, I kind of like hourly jobs, because if you go over that 40 hours, or you go over that eight hours a day, it's like, you got to get your time and a half. And when we sort of made this transition to white collar work, the definitions got messed up because originally to have a salary meant you were like a vice president. It meant you were a CFO. It meant you were a CEO. It meant you were a high level manager. And then you were exempt from overtime because, because, and, and in the law, by definition, it says a, a manager is somebody who supervises and manages. If you're, if you're managing large groups of people, then you are exempt from getting overtime. And we're talking, you know, you should be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and fair enough more than that you know like again you're like yeah exactly there's something about that that i think was intrinsic okay like you want to be you want to have no overtime you want to be available around the clock but you get this kick-ass title and huge pay and bonuses fair enough what what's kind of unfair in this equation is that the low-level employee or the entry-level employee who doesn't really manage anybody is also being asked to take up that same burden or the same requirements without the increased compensation and without like the gl- glorious title or you know and supervising 20 people and all that other stuff. And I think something about that is somewhere along the line that's a bargain that we never made. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways we're also I don't want to say losing our way, but I think in a sense we we're forgetting what it's like to be without our work, like to be individuals without our work, like, oh, I'm, I, this is my hobby. This is what I like to do outside of work. Now it's like, we just go to work and we come home and binge Netflix and like order in food. Like that's, <laughs> that's honestly, no, but that for being in the city, most people that I knew it was, you go to work, you work as, as long as you have to, then immediately you're so tired. So you just go and either get drinks with someone and then stuff your face with whatever pizza is at the, you know, at the bar. And then you go home and crash and do it all again the next day. Or, you you know, you basically do the same thing, but from home. So you kind of miss out on, I mean, the socialization is great, but you miss out on, again, the, the 888 where you're building on your life in other meaningful ways than just working. 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the number of young teachers that I would work with who in the teacher's lounge would just casually say, yeah, I finished grading these papers until like 11 p.m. last night. And then I like while like polishing off a bottle of wine or something. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> pol- pol-. And I'm talking about like a, a young like, you know, a, a young lady who was like five foot three and 110 pounds, just like polishing off a bottle of wine. And I'm like, my goodness, like that's not natural and that's not right. Yeah. And and, you know, maybe people like that in the past were like statistical outliers. But I'm hearing stories like this more and more often. Well, what's interesting is that it's kind of history repeating itself because one of the reasons that we had prohibition, people don't even realize this, is that all these men were working in these factories, like 10, 12, 13, 14 hour days. And this was brutal work, like absolutely brutal, like on your feet, shoveling coal, um, you know, working behind the same machine, like for 14 hours. And what would these guys do after they got off from work? They would go to the bar and get completely shit faced. And sadly, they also did some other terrible stuff, like take it out on their wives and on their children and so forth. And that was, and what they, what happened was, is that, you know, society came together and they formed, you know, the temperance movement and they banned alcohol. And they said, all right, well, if we just get rid of alcohol, then that will solve the problem. But that was never the problem. The problem was not the excessive drinking. It was actually the working conditions that were so damn horrendous that forced people to drink crazy, like 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 there was no tomorrow because people just managed to skirt that law and find alcohol in other ways. And that's exactly we were literally basically repeating the same problems that we were facing a hundred years ago. It's not that you need a law to ban alcohol. It's that we need we, we need to reclaim that eight hours so that we don't like just completely lose ourselves in a drunken stupor every night. Yeah, it's hard because you don't want to say alcohol is 100% the problem, right? Because it is fun when you use it for celebrations and kind of like what it's supposed to be. Like, I remember my, I think it was my mom, she was saying her grandfather, you know, they'd have Sunday dinner, right? Once a week, they have maybe a small glass of wine. And also the wine glasses used to be so much smaller. Like, it was like a fraction of the size that we have now. And like the goblet, it's like literally a goblet. It's so huge. I think of like medieval times. Or something. No, literally. But if you look, it's fun. If you look at actual pictures between what was considered a serving size back then, and that's for food, alcohol, coffee. I mean, you get these like little tiny glasses. And then you look at now and it's like, like basically half a bottle of wine in one cup. And it's like, that's. No wonder people are hammered all the time. Like you're <laughs> serving. No, really, your portions are so. You ever like sit and you're in you're in the zone. You're doing work or you're watching TV or whatever, and you already like you have a bowl of popcorn or something, and like you're just eating it, but you're not realizing you're eating it, and then all of a sudden it's gone. It's like the same exact thing. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. And get to this stage where you want to get off work and you want to attend to things that are, you know, like, like you said, you went for a run. I think that's a fantastic way to spend, you know, your after work hours, or you want to, let's say you want to, you want to do meal prep, you know, like, I think meal Mm -hmm. prep is really important. Some people will make a meal and then freeze it and it will last for like three or four days or something, but that's really tiring. And that's really consuming, Uh, you know, that really, that really takes a lot out of you. So I think what a lot of people do is that they are working these crazy hours. So they order, you know, they obviously order the most unhealthiest food possibly available, which, you know, obviously is 34% of Americans are now obese. And then they consume alcohol. And this is this is destroying our spirit, our mind, our soul and our bodies all, all yeah. at the same time. 
Whereas if we had just, if we just had those eight hours to ourselves, we, a lot of this damage would not be happening right now. Yeah. And it compounds over time too. So, you know, you skip one night of meal prep and then it becomes a month and then it's, then, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself in this huge rut. It's problematic. How do you even do yourself out? Meanwhile, <laughs> you're still trying to work all these crazy hours. It's just, it's not, it's not great, but I will say like, I haven't really, well, not that I haven't told anyone this, but so I have not been a big drinker really my whole life. I just like, I would, I'm also like four foot 11, like 105 pounds. Like I could not finish a bottle of wine. Like that woman I would one, be on the floor. Like, vomiting. Done. That's it. <laughs> Literally I'm good. Like I have like two white claws and I'm like, I'm in my happy place. But, um, so last summer, I mean, granted it was COVID, but I, because of how things were going at work, I was finding that I actually, for the first time was actively buying alcohol and having a drink or two every single night. Wow. Yeah. So like, yeah, I go for my run, right? I do my run, but then I like get back and I'm like, okay, the rest of the night I'm going to drink and like hang out because I deserve it. Right. Cause today was so stressful and I've worked so long and I'm exhausted and this is it. And that's like, to me now I think about it and it's, it's frustrating that I even came to that, but I can understand if I was dealing with my, like my level of stress is probably is not the same as someone who's a new mother who's working a corporate job or husband's working a corporate job. They don't have help. Like someone like that, who's, you know, we're in an age group. It's probably, I can't imagine the stress level. It's nothing compared to mine. Oh yeah. No. And, 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 you know, you know, both of us are speaking as, you know, uh, younger people with no children. And I, I can only imagine that, as you get older, as, as your level of responsibility, I mean, you get hit on so many ways you have, some people are dealing with children and they're dealing with ailing parents who, who just, you know, don't have that. And again, if we look at this traditionally, you could kind of swing having one breadwinner at one point. So you could have one person that's the sole breadwinner. And then that could be the person that just comes home from work exhausted and then just reclines on the lazy boy and just, you know, goes. To you love your lazy boy. Yeah, right? that's, a, that's, a recurrent, that's my uh, recurring thing that I just dive into. Like, right? But I mean, then, I do understand it. Like, like, you know, back then, Maybe it wasn't lazy boy, but you had the armchair and it was like dad's armchair because he'd work a full day and he'd come home and plant himself in there because he wants to decompress. Like, I totally get it. And it's it's almost sad that we don't even have the option to have a one income household anymore unless you're doing something so outside the box where you created your own business and it's super scalable and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or you happen to be a CEO of a company. But, you know, like, who do you know that's a single that has a single house, like single working household? I don't. I have no especially you know. not, yeah, especially you know, like houses up in New York City, even Long Island, they're expensive, and it's like it's just impossible to swing, uh, you know, a house with with one person working. It's just it's just not possible. So you end up having both parents that are are working, or you, even in the worst case, you have you know single mothers who are working, and they're they're not really making a go of it at all because you know they have so much going against them. But mm -hmm. even even when you do have two parents working, it's like, there needs to be somebody. I'm not saying that it has to necessarily be the wife. It could be the husband. It could be, mm -hmm. it could be both partners, both working a part-time job. You know, it, it's really up to, it's really between husband and wife to decide who wants to go to work and who wants to stay home. Seriously, no judgment here on my part. But when you don't have the option of having one person kind of taking care of those domestic things, like meal prep, uh, cleaning the house, making sure the kids are doing their homework, everything begins to society, I think, begins to crumble at the wayside because yeah. these things are really, really important. And 
if, if we don't, to, to think that people could not only, we're asking people to not only work 40 hours, we're asking them to work 50 to 60 hours. And then on top of that, take care of all of these domestic chores that used to be handled by just one person. Yeah. I mean, even for a single person, it was, it's a lot for myself. Well, it was a lot for myself when I was working the 50 or 60 hours as an executive assistant. And then I'd come home quickly, scarf down food. And then my entire weekend is I'm doing laundry. I'm going shopping. I'm doing, you know, the, all the errands that I need to do. And like, then Saturday night comes around and my friends are like, do you want to go out for drinks? And I'm like, hell no. Like, I'm so tired. Like I, and I still have to all tomorrow, all Sunday to do more stuff. Like it just, and imagine if you had to like bring your kids to guitar practice, then you had to like get this and do that. And then you got to worry about your, you know, your grandfather who's living at home or whatever it is. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're really not in a great place. Like we're definitely, things are changing because people are recognizing that this is all BS. Like it's complete nonsense. The fact that we're living in these conditions and we're so far ahead in society, like it should almost be the opposite. We should be getting better, not worse, but it's definitely going to take some time. But I'm hopeful that our generation and the generation for it, Gen Z, we're really pushing to maximize on self-care, pay people accordingly, really push for those, you know, things to be affordable. I mean, I was just talking about this the other day with my friend, like it's so messed up that, you know, you have these bankers granted, right? They're dealing with money, so they should be making a lot, but then you have teachers and nurses and all these people who are like doing such good for the world and really setting the set the stage for how the planet is going to either continue to be in a good state or regress as you know people get older i don't know it seems like we don't give them enough credit or pay them enough or applaud them enough if anything covid was great because people finally got to see like wow if it wasn't for the nurses if it wasn't for the teachers if it wasn't for the like we would all be screwed and the grocery workers like who in their right mind would ever think like oh my god i'm so thankful that this essential worker who works at a grocery store is so important. Like mm. before COVID, probably no one would acknowledge that person. You know what I'm saying? They're just, it's, which is sad. I probably wouldn't, it would go over my head as well. Absolutely. I, I think that the pandemic has kind of, I, I'm hoping that it's made the invisible visible for the first time ever. And and that we, even, even I'm hoping that teachers who have been teaching through Zoom I, I kind of hope that maybe just a parent walks by and says, wow, th this person deals with my difficult kid every single day and actually gets them to do work. Like I can't even make my kid uh, make their bed, but this teacher person over here is getting my little uh, Johnny over here to read like three paragraphs or something. So <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think that if there's, I'm hoping, you know, I've, I have spoken to teachers who are working during the pandemic and I've heard a lot of crazy stories about parents being involved, but I'm hoping that there are some positive stories in, in that as well. And that, you know, people see the the professionals who, who really do the most important jobs. You know, I always, I always think it's crazy that, uh, and I've mentioned this before, that paramedics get paid so little, like they get paid, right? they, they get paid understand. like, they get paid <laughs> like no, they, their starting salary, I think is like 35 or 40,000 a year. This is, and a paramedic's job, and I've said this before, a paramedic's job is so important that if they lift you the wrong way, if you get hit by a car or something like that, God forbid, if they just lift you the wrong way and your neck twists in the wrong way, you will be paralyzed for life. That's yeah. the person that's only worth $40,000 a year. If, if they just lift you up the wrong way. I mean, our priorities 
are, are completely bonkers, you know, in, yeah. in this world and in terms of what we value. And it's, it's almost as if like, you know, I was going to kind of circle around to the uh, issue of purpose and meaning, but I think it's interesting to start that some of the jobs that have the most purpose and meaning, teachers, nurses, paramedics, pay, pay the least in our society. I mean, what, what does that tell us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, capitalism, I mean, like, really, when you think about just like, the goal goes back to who makes the most money, really, if you're, yeah. if it's not contributing economically, I don't know if us, like, societally here, see the benefit of it, at least using the current or previous model we've been on. Because I, if you look at other countries, I mean, I forget which which one, but there's, you know, any, you know, anything in Europe, I've heard of people like the big joke is like, what's something that shows you that you're American? The the big joke is like, oh, here, you have to like fight for three months, paternity, you know, maternity or paternity leave. But like in the UK, like you'll get a year and no one questions anything. Like, imagine, imagine like you could just have a baby and like, no one's going to, I mean, I've heard of people who were literally on maternity leave and were like yelled at for not coming back at the two and a half month mark, even though they still had another half a month and they got fired for it and they couldn't do anything about it because it wasn't in writing. It was over a phone. That's America. Like what the hell? Where, like what, why, why is that happening? Why is that? That shouldn't be like that. Yeah, wow. Wow. And you know, I mean, we're, we're getting all over the place here, but there's so many things about like the yeah, workforce yeah, that I just <laughs> feel like are not like working at all. They, there was just a study published that birth rate is is on decline right now. So we're actually oh, having yeah. we're having a lot less. And some experts chalk this up to like, well, it's the pandemic. People aren't dating. You know, they can't go on those Tinder dates or whatever. But that's not necessarily the case because these trends were already in decline before the pandemic. Like people were having less kids and so forth. And it's like reasons that you just described, like, well, geez, I don't know if I'm going to get my full maternity paternity leave that, that, that are influencing people or geez, I can't afford more than a studio apartment. Is that really an environment conducive to raising a newborn? You know, like all five, all three or four of us, like in this like little apartment or something. So all all of these things are, are, are kind of, you know, kind of weighing at people. And, and I think, I, I think, you know, they call us whiny, but I'm like, we're only whining about stuff that people whined about a hundred years ago. Like people literally were whining about these things. You know, people were literally fight. Let's use the word instead of whining, fighting for these things a hundred years ago. And now mm-hmm. we find ourselves having to refight many of these same battles. And, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not good needless to say. Okay. I want to kind of transition to this idea of when you shifted to the role in in working in real estate and this idea of the loss of meaning. Can you tell me a little bit more about how, like maybe when you would go home and, and you were taking your jog or you were having, you know, another cocktail, tell me about like how, how you processed yourself. Because I, I said in my intro that if you are a carpenter, and I've spoken to carpenters before, and I've spoken to people, I, I, I met a guy once who did marble tiles. He would actually go into kitchens and bathrooms and put marble tiles, which is pretty, you know, hey, it's a, it's a grueling job. But he was so proud of his work. He carried all of the houses he worked on on his phone. And he'd be like, let me, let me show you this house I worked on. And he would have all these pictures on his phone. And he was really excited. And his, his craftsmanship was like spot on. And I think that even if your your job has a lot of hard work or drudgery, having that meaning 
can can sometimes at least you like all right well look at what i created how did it feel when you when you couldn't find like the purpose of what you were doing i was not in a good place last year like i mean it was really really challenging for me to i don't i just i feel like i spent a majority of me being in this role which is about a year contemplating if this was even a me issue or if it was a job issue like i really was just you know trying to figure out if you know i was the problem i needed to work better with my team i needed to learn more skills like going through the whole list until i really realized like deep down in my gut like this is not the place to be but i think a lot a big big part of my disliking of it was the people i was working with they just were not great to to work with they made things very very difficult similarly to with your carpenter kind of explanation of like him being really proud about the work that he did I didn't really get credit for the things that I was doing. You know, my boss would kind of take the credit for it, you know, or um, it just, it, it was not at all what I had expected it to be coming from an assistant role, which I've been told many, many times is like the bottom of the barrel, like you are the gum on the bottom of the shoe. And to see role reversal and something that I'm supposed to be put on a pedestal because I'm doing marketing real estate, which is so cool. Like, I don't know, it blew my mind that it would be such a, such a 360 really that's you know that's one thing that i that was actually a surprise to me is that i always thought that the people on the bottom get treated the worst and then as you move up you know your job gets softer and more cushionier and maybe that's true to some degree but i noticed that when you're sort of in the middle of the triangle things get really fierce like really 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 people become because when there's something like when you're not really, really on the top, but you're sort of in the middle, you have something to lose. You're like, you're still ambitious and you want to get ahead, but then you're afraid of falling behind. And people do really nasty cutthroat things to, to each other. They, they, they throw people under the bus, they jump in and steal the credit. And, you know, that could have been like something that could have been like a 13, 14 hour day to you just instantly became someone else's ticket to the executive suite. And then that's, that's something that, you know, I think that these leave like psychological scars on people. Like this is like the psychologically scarred yeah. people. And it's so unnatural to how it is that we as humans actually function in this world. Like we're, I don't think that in a, in a natural world, this, this is how we behave. But when we feel, when we're constantly being told, if you don't step up, we're going to get rid of you. Or if you don't step up, or this is your third warning or whatever, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, I love that phrase. It's your third I've, warning or whatever. <laughs> It's so like, you almost feel like you're put in timeout. Like it's, I have never really had that happen to me before until I entered this role. And it was not only like, it's just so degrading. Also, when you know you've given your heart and soul and you've been told by so many people, you're doing such a good job. I love what you're doing. And then all of a sudden this one person who happens to be your manager just literally shits on you every single day. Like any chance she gets like to tell you something negative and then tries to sugarcoat and be like, Oh, but you're doing so well. Like you're taking such blah, blah, blah. You're taking, taking such initiative. Like, this is great. Oh, but you suck. Like what? I don't understand. Is this criticism? Like, I don't, are you trying to praise me? This isn't cool. And then I never thought in the job and the company I was working for that there'd be such animosity to come from this specific person who on the outside seemed to be so pleasant and she advocated for so many amazing things. And, you know, she's did all this volunteer work and supposed to be revered as this kind of like goddess, if you will, in this role, in this department. And 
it scarred me. Like, I don't want to be friends. I don't want to even acknowledge her. I don't want to people similar to her. I don't want to be connected to. I mean, now I'm at a place where I've kind of reflected a bit, you know, processed it, but I just, man, I can't even wrap my head around it. Like, I would not wish that on the world for anyone. The throwing under the bus and the, I can't, it's not great. No, absolutely. And, And one other dynamic that, you know, when I was younger, I didn't even see. And now that I'm a little bit older, I, I kind of realize it is that what, what, sometimes I would just kind of like, I would work these long hours and then I would like kind of beat my head against the wall. Like what the heck is going on here? And one thing that I, I was reading about is that there's also this tendency that if you have a manager and they kind of see that you are shining a bit too brightly, they yes. themselves get very threatened. You know what I yes. mean? Like they- so- that I definitely, we were so similar in a lot of ways of like taking initiative and being very headstrong and like, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to like interject and give my thoughts about something. And at first I think she enjoyed that because I brought some spice to the campaigns we were working on and all of that. But then as time went on, it seemed like she was continually putting me in places where she would withhold information And then I'd go to do whatever project it is and not have that piece of information. So then when I finish it, my SVP is like, what, what is this? This is garbage. This is not what we asked for. I'm not happy about this. Like be all mad. And I'm thinking what I was told to do it exactly like this. And then my manager on the side is like, oh, you should have, you know, you should be a better listener. You should take better notes, like all these things. And here I am thinking I'm the problem when it's, you've just been like, and the thing is, too, she's not even aware of it. She's just doing it because she's such a like superstar and she wants to be the shining star, you know, be the rock star of the group that she doesn't even realize that she's actually undermining everything I'm doing just to stay at the top. Yes. And now she has her fancy title, you know, that she got this year and like, woohoo, I got my business card. I'm like, great, you can have it. Like, good luck to you. Like, I don't I don't need that at all. <laughs> now, th- this is this is something that I think. I, I think it kind of upends the mentor, mentee, or, you know, teacher and student kind of relationship that, you know, we see a lot in movies, we read a lot about in philosophy. And usually the idea behind this is that the the mentor teaches the student so that the student can one day surpass the master or, or, or you know, transcend that. And it's not like this thing where if you treat your student very well or you treat your mentee very well, when they do surpass you, they'll remember you as being that really inspirational force. So like, for example, if you were, let's say, to become like the vice president of the company, you'll look back at your time under her and be like, hey, you know, you were so good to me. And then you kind of take care of each other. Like, that's the way it should work. And then what I don't understand is why people think, oh my God, this one is going to just usurp me. She's going to take my place. I'm going to be X'd. And then when she's in charge, she's going to make my life. It's like, you're going to get back whatever it is that you brought in. You know, whatever whatever it is that you trickled down is going to be the same thing that rains on you. So if you treat your subordinates with respect, if you, and you know, again, like I said, you might have an underling that's really trying to stab you behind the back. These things happen. I get it. But generally speaking, if you treat people below you very, very well, you one, 
develop a reputation as being a wonderful mentor and as someone that that people can confide in and tell secrets to and you know learn from and, and that just makes your value go up because now even even if you're not doing that same job you can kind of then be transitioned to like being a, a trainer or a mentor of some sort and that that's really awesome itself and when those people get to your level or surpass you they will take care of you if you took care of them that used to be a part of like i think the fabric of any kind of relationship is that you took care of the people below you it's it's basically like the, the relationship between parent and child the parent takes care the parent should not be afraid that their child is going to surpass them because they will they're younger than you and they're 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 younger they're going to live longer than you but the goal is is that when they do surpass you they take care of you and somehow we've got this twisted notion in our head is that we got to keep everyone below me as as low as humanly possible. Yeah. I wonder if it has to do with sort of if you push too hard in a way that doesn't make them be in their place that makes them feel comfortable. They're doing things how they normally do. Like nothing has changed. Some people, they don't like change and those red flags immediately go up. So I think that's part of it is if you bring something new to the table yeah it's exciting but then once you start really digging in there maybe it's like ooh, like no we like doing things how we're doing it it doesn't need to be changed we can go we've done this you know done it this way for this long we don't need to do anything else and that is probably true in a lot of scenarios you don't necessarily need to change anything but most people need to get out of their own way too so it's a combination of things i'm sure but i think that has to change as a that's a big issue for people too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, I, I believe me, I did not have a lot of good uh, mentors in, in my time, you know, teaching it, but I had one lady that was, she was pretty good. And she, she was really good at pushing me out of my comfort zone, really good at doing that because she said, Aaron, I, you need to try this and I don't care if you fail doing it. That was actually Wait, a game. You had that at a job, a job. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever really 100% had someone say that to me, like, well, especially being in corporate, maybe like at a startup I did, but not so much, especially not at the last job I worked at. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. No, and, and what that did, you know, like, like she wanted me basically to change my lessons around, like, you know, she wanted me to try some new things and I was a little hesitant and reluctant, but the fact that she gave me permission to fail and she wouldn't judge it or whatever, she was just that, that excited or that, that, you know, she had that urgency and she wanted me to try this new thing that it didn't matter if it blew up, just the fact that I pushed myself. And, it, you know, it ended, the, the lesson was a, you know, was a huge success and it was wonderful. That's the kind of pushing people out of their comfort zone where it's like, I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. But if you fail, you know, you're still a part of the family here. You're still a part of the club. Like, you know, good for you for trying. Maybe we'll try it differently next time or something like that. But now it's what I don't like is that we've gotten to this place of like, well, I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. And if you fail, you're out of here. That th that to me is like, and, and I get it, businesses need to be profitable and they need to make money and all that stuff. But if you if you have these companies that have 50% turnover rates, you know, within three years, it's like, who's really swimming here? Who's really surviving? You know, and then five years down the road, like you have everyone except for senior management is a completely different face. I'm like, who's really being served by this system? Yeah. And also not to mention that to hire 
rehire employees that have left not only is extremely time consuming, but it's extremely expensive because these larger companies use recruiters, obviously, and the recruiter gets paid, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20% per employee. So if you're basically a hundred thousand dollar employee, that's $20,000 that you're paying every three years just to, with, you know, withstand basically cover your ass because you screwed up. Bringing on that idea of you need to fail. And if you're failing, that means you're actually failing forward, which means you're succeeding. So obviously you don't want to like completely bomb and like make the company bankrupt and do all these bad things. But like, think of the guy who got the boat stuck in the Suez Canal. Like he will never, ever do that again in his life. Like he will (laughs) live that down for the rest of his life. There's a difference between trying your hardest and failing and pure negligence like if you're if you're just like whatever i failed i don't care all right well now now you should be written up or now there is like probable cause to get rid of you but if it's like if you work that 14 hour day and then you failed come on now it's, it's like you know like you want do you want this person to grow or do you want them to become completely jaded for the rest of their life so yeah. th- that's the kind of balance that we don't have we don't have that balance of like all right you know we're not saying to be you know a permanent loser we're not saying to permanently intentionally fail and just get moved to the most easiest cushiony things to do you know, like you're not going to be on life support forever, but at the same time, the people who are, you know, jumping off those cliffs and taking those risks, we need, we need to take care of them. Yeah. The, the last thing I, I kind of want to talk to you about, and again, it's like, I, we keep aiming for the the ultimate meaning and then we get like sidestep. <laughs> such a big topic, you know, like it's such a jam-packed topic, so many different <laughs> angles to cover. I'm, I'm wondering like when you were working for this real estate company, and, you know, it's, it's the timing of this episode is so perfect because I was just listening to another podcast about how a lot of real estate companies are now just selling exclusively to investors and not like to young couples starting a family, the people who would traditionally buy homes, they're selling more to like investors who are looking to flip these houses, looking to rent these houses out. So I'm wondering like if when you were working for this real estate company, if you, if someone had, you know, taken the time and you had seen like a family come through the door and be like, oh my God, this is a dream come true. We're, we're, you know, thanks to you guys, we're buying our dream home. And, and if you had more images of that in your mind, even, even if the people, even if there were a lot of things about the job that was, you know, pure drudgery, if you had those moments of like a young couple getting the keys to their first house, think of this idea of like a baker making the perfect cake for a kid's birthday and like you know yeah it took a lot of work to make that cake it took a lot of time and you're you had to have a lot of you know motor skills to do it but then you see the end result you see someone smiling you see that you know kid oh my god super mario on my birthday cake you know like you see that like end product and it makes it all worth it but when you're also working for a place and you don't really see that you don't see that like average day person benefiting from the fruits of your labor does that make like your job that much harder as well? Oh yeah. And also it like a perfect example is we had a project um, in the Bronx, which I wasn't familiar with until this project, which was amazing to not only understand the culture, but get to really understand just, you know, people always say, Oh, the Bronx, like it's a rough area. Like it is, it is. And um, here we are, this real estate company that bought up a ton of land. We're developing this property and it's supposed to be like super fancy and like, you know, basically the Ritz of the, the Bronx. And yeah, that's great. But like no one there can afford it. Like, what are you doing for the community? That's 
what like they did one thing and that's what they do around Thanksgiving where they give out turkeys like that's nice but like that's the one thing you're doing for the community is like after all the money that you're making from this and all the money that you're injecting into your own portfolio the only thing you're doing is giving back turkeys on one day a year like sorry that doesn't cut it at first I was really enjoying it because right on the surface I'm thinking I'm giving back to the community because we're told oh we do all this community service we do you know all these coat drives we do we do all this stuff right a lot of fluff but then when you really get into the nitty-gritty of it you it just you just feel like a gear in a money machine like really I mean and if you try to bring some sort of average person some mom and pop shop anything like that it's not going to fly and it's not because they're 100% being like no we won't take them it's just like you know a mom and pop ace hardware type of store you know no logo no no it's just like mom and pop's hardware store would never make it because it's not cool enough or you know they don't have the you have to have a certain number of capital or like insurance for it and they probably won't it almost seems like they would make the requirements for it so high that no one could be there except for the Facebooks, the Googles, these major, major corporations. So unless you're like a really cool like startup coffee shop that just like happens to be like cool for the bougie type of, you know, hipsters that are trying, they're trying <laughs> to get live there, you're not going to be included. It's just not going to happen. Now, wow. Now, this, what you're saying is is so true because, you know, I, I, I think of like uh what's that movie um it's it's a it's a wonderful life you know and and like you think of the 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 like classic loan officer who's like working at a bank and then they see that small business owner like you know geez i have an idea for a hardware store and and you're the guy who writes him the check and then you have that like feel good moment where you see some honest person walking through the offices of a bank you're writing them a check and they get to start their dream they get to start a hardware store they get to buy that house for their family um that i think is really important and 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 just as you said you build all these houses and i think you could speak more to this i noticed like living in new york city my entire life one of the kinds of buildings one of the developments that's really in vogue right now is those like fancy apartment complexes that are trans like the the windows are transparent you know what i'm talking about yeah basically there's it's just all glass yeah it's all glass and sometimes you know i was riding the i was riding like anytime i would ride the number four train or the number seven train those are like the trains that run outside sometimes i would look through the glass into some of these apartment complexes especially like you know long island city there's a lot of those kind oh, of buildings yeah. out there yeah. tons of them and what i noticed is that they're all freaking empty like I would, I just like, I'm yeah. staring there and I see no one living there. I see no people. I see no one looking out the window. I see no furniture. A lot of these very expensive luxury uh, condominiums are just completely empty. I don't see anyone living there at all. And I'm like, because they're living at the office. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah they're living you know? in the office. Or what I think is, is I think that a lot of these, you know, what they do is they have these expensive developments, some kind of you know, person who has money buys them up, buys the units up, but then that person struggles to rent them out because 
you know, who, who can really afford, who's going to, who in their right mind is going to pay $3,200 to live in a freaking studio made out of glass. You know, yeah. no, no one, no one, no one in their right mind is able to rent out that studio. So a lot of these prof, a lot of these properties just end up like the developer makes their money because they're selling the property, but then the mm-hmm. person who buys it is losing money because they can't even find anyone who can possibly afford to rent these things out. So yeah. a lot of these developments are not actually helping the communities in which they're built in. They're just, they're just literally there collecting dust, swaying in the wind. I mean, they do have a lot of perks, which is again, it kind of, it's very similar in the sense of a corporate job where like the, you're paying, you know, like the $3,200 a month, like that sucks. Like I'm working the 40 hours, 50, 60 hours a week. That sucks. But I get nature Valley bars and at this complex, you get a gym. So there's like all these, (laughs) these fluff, no, really, but it's all this fluff on this, you know, on this apartment building, you get a gym and you have a doorman and you have an on roof, you know, access that has a dog walk. And then you get like, you know, windows that are like energy conserving and like all this fluff to make you forget about the money you're paying and all the hours you're putting in for your job. And really when it comes, when you tear the fluff away and you see what it is for itself, it's now it's not worth it for me. And that's another reason why I left my apartment because honestly, if I wasn't living there, and working there for all of last year when I was working remotely, even COVID, it would be the probably one of the biggest wastes of money I've ever had, really. Because yeah. I would be at the office all day long and I would come home and the only thing I would do with the apartment is sleep. That's it. That's a waste of money. Yeah. It is. It, no, you're you're absolutely right. It, it, it's like it, you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's like you work all these hours to have a, you know a place that you're proud of, but then you're working all those hours, you don't actually even get to enjoy it. And and you know and 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 then you are like, all right, well, I'm making all this great money, but wait a minute now. Now all your great money is going straight into rent. You know, this is not this is not equity that you're building. This is not something that is going to appreciate over time. You're just literally turning that money over to some landlord and you'll never see it again. So there's a lot of trappings of of urban life in particular that that are going on. And I I, I think that on all fronts in, in terms of like working conditions, in terms of pay, and in terms of that meaning, I think we're being hit. I think our generation is being hit on so many angles. And I kind of want to end this episode by kind of clearing some stuff up here. There's this idea that millennials and generation Z are just, we're just, we're really lazy. Like we're really just lazy, like to do nothing all day. We, we like to take a blanket and just go in the middle of central park, just sit in the sun and just go, <sighs> you, know, you know, and there's this like image and it just, it just, it's a persistent image, but it's just not true. It's really, it's really not true at all when you look at all the hours that our generation is working and for what little that we're getting out of it and what little value, you know, what value. I mean, if you, if, if let's just say I was a loan officer and let's just say the year is 1949 or something like that, I have my eight hour work day. I get to like, I do work that, okay, maybe it's not the most pleasant and my manager chews me out every now and then, but then you know, once a week, I do have that success story where that guy who wants to open up a hardware store went through my offices. So I'm able to like rest my head at night knowing, all right, I helped, I helped someone start their dream today. You know, when you compare that standard of purpose, money, value, time, energy, when you just look at all of the, the, the variables, of course, you're going to be a lot more optimistic about the future when you're living under those conditions. 
But on the positive, I do want to say that I think us Gen Zers and millennials have so much opportunity that people before us didn't. So you physically had to be at a job to make money. Whereas now people do affiliate marketing, they have content creation, they have social media stuff. I mean, you could run a whole online business and make money passively and be in Costa Rica. Like to me, <laughs> they might call me lazy, but I'm, I don't call myself lazy. I'm calling myself smart, like using what's, you know, what resources they have, but also like, you wouldn't be able to have this podcast. I wouldn't be able to be making a podcast because it just wouldn't be, unless you were a producer and were in a studio and had like a ton of money to put in it, like it wouldn't happen. So that's amazing. But yeah, when my parents were like, oh, I fudged my documents to get our first house, like <laughs> that would never happen nowadays. Like it would <laughs> never happen. Everything's online. Nothing can be cheated that way. Like it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully the bank doesn't find out about your parents' house right now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think I think that's the perfect balance. Let's keep 21st century technology and innovation, but let's go back to a more classical working standard. Gabby, totally. thank you so much for being on the show today. And we will have the link to Gabby's new podcast, Corporate Quitter, in the, the description down below. Thank you <laughs> so, so much, Gabby. Thanks for having me. This concludes the 119th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.